Luke chapter 4, and we'll pick up where we left off last Sunday. Let's, uh, let's just bow our heads in prayer as we come to God's word. Lord, we just thank you for uh, this time in your word, and we just pray, God, that we would see uh, Jesus in his glory, in his beauty, in his awesomeness, in his sinless perfection. This morning, as we look at the, the story, uh, the account of his temptation, I pray, God, that uh, our wonder, our awe of who Christ is would grow this morning. And so, Jesus, we just uh, we come to you. We pray, Lord, that we would uh, have open hearts, Lord. Would you open our hearts? Would you open our eyes, Lord? Would you open our ears? Would you open our minds, Jesus, that we would just see who you are and that we would have a sweet time of fellowship with you, with each other, in the Word of God. And so, bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 4. We're just going to look at the first 15 verses uh, this morning that give the account of the temptation of Jesus. Last week, we looked at uh, Luke's account of the ministry of John the Baptist, and then the baptism of the Lord Jesus. And we, we saw this, that following his baptism, when Jesus came up out of the waters, uh, the heavens opened amazingly. The Spirit of God descended upon Jesus in the form of the dove, and there was a voice that came down from heaven that all heard uh, from the Father who said this, his voice of approval, "'You are my beloved Son,' With you, I am well pleased. And so Luke accounts for us, demonstrates to us that Jesus was anointed by the Spirit and he was approved by the Father uh, from heaven. And so in chapter four, Luke tells us what happens next. So let's check it out. Chapter four, verse one, it says this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So, you know, I, I, I read this, and the first thing that I think is this, now being uh, full of the Spirit, you would think that Jesus would be led back immediately to his hometown, that his ministry would get started, that all the miracles would just start happening, but that is not what happens. Full of the Spirit, Jesus was led, it says. The Spirit led him into the wilderness, which is not exactly maybe the first thing that you might expect the Holy Spirit would do. How would you like that? You know, the Spirit to lead you into the wilderness. Maybe you're in one of those days right now. But Jesus was led into the Judean wilderness where he would be tempted by the devil, tempted by the adversary. Now, in Scripture, the wilderness is uh, a place of learning. The wilderness is God's school of obedience. It is the place of preparation. Like, think about different accounts that we have of God's people in times of the wilderness. Remember Moses? Moses went into the wilderness. He spent 40 years there. The children of Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, Elijah, when he fled from Jezebel, remember he, he ran a day and a night into the wilderness and then he fell asleep out of exhaustion and he was woken up by an angel and an angel said to him, uh, eat and drink and there was food prepared for him and he ate and he drank and he went back to sleep and then he was woken up again and told the same thing to, to do the same thing again 
And he ate and drank, and the scripture says that he went for 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness on that strength to the Mount of God, Mount Horeb in the wilderness. How about John the Baptist? We talked about this last week. John the Baptist was a man who was prepared for ministry during his time in the wilderness. So there's something, as we read this account of Jesus that is being repeated from the pages of Scripture, a pattern from Scripture. You know, I think this, Moses was in the wilderness because he was fleeing punishment. He didn't want Pharaoh to kill him. So he ended up in the wilderness. Elijah was in the wilderness because in fear, he was fleeing Jezebel. The children of Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion against God, to their disobedience to enter the land of promise. But for Jesus, the wilderness, the, wilderness, the time of temptation was not because he was fleeing anything. It wasn't because he was trying to escape punishment like Moses or because he was running in fear like Elijah or because he was acting in disobedience like the children of Israel, God's, people, God's, God's purpose was not to crush him in doing this, not, not to do him in, not to trip Jesus up, but I'm going to say this, but to show Jesus off, to show his glory. And so the wilderness experience for Jesus is for us to see as we read the account of his life uh, that he is God's anointed, that he is the one that God has approved. And it's amazing, you know, that the wilderness experience can sometimes follow an amazing work of God's uh, spirit in your life. Have you ever found that? Have you ever found yourself on a mountaintop with the Lord? You're like, this is awesome. God's doing such amazing things. And before you know it, man, you are in the depths of a valley and you're wondering, what is going on? How did this quickly happen? I remember uh, when I was a, a teenager receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and just having this amazing time with the Lord, speaking in tongues for the first time and this incredible life changing experience for me and we got on the bus as we were leaving the history maker youth convention my youth leader told me now you need to be ready <laughs> because you've had this mountaintop and the devil's gonna want to come and and take you down into the valley and I thought wow these are wise words that now God has done this work in your life the devil is going to want to cast a shadow on what God has done cast doubt on the work of the Holy Spirit and you should be aware of that potential now Th th that was exactly what Satan wanted to do with the regards to the Lord Jesus. And sometimes it happens for us in the faith. Mountaintop, down into the valley. It's a quick descent. And God uses these times, when, he, when these happen, he uses these times to teach us obedience. He uses these times to school us and prepare us for what he has next for us. To prove in us, to prove to us what he has done in us by his spirit. And so the text tells us that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Tempted by the devil. Now, I, I was thinking about this. I hate to burst anyone's bubble, but I don't think you and I have ever actually experienced this. <laughs> I mean, uh, 
This is a level of concentrated temptation and effort by the evil one that you have never experienced. I mean, the devil is a real person. Some want to deny his existence. He is the enemy of God. He is the adversary of God's people, a fallen angel. But the devil is not, you know, the counterpart of Jesus. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He doesn't get to be everywhere at once. He's not God's equal. So when it comes to you and I, I would say this. Look, the devil has bigger fish to fry than you and than me. So he sends his minions. He sends his little workers. What he is not concerned with is those who don't know the Lord Jesus. He's not concerned with those who don't know Jesus because they're already children of the devil, as the word of God says. But when someone comes to faith, they become a target of the Lord's enemy and he uses temptation. He sends his minions to bring about our disobedience and to try and bring about our destruction. And he works in this way to bring temptation. And temptation is not sin. Temptation is temptation to sin. Now, a couple of things I just want to note before we read on here about this, about the timing of this satanic-inspired temptation. Uh, first one is this. Yeah, I mentioned this. It was after something really exciting happened. But the second thing is this that it was during a time of exhaustion and hunger. That's when the devil likes to come and use temptation against people when, when they're weak. Jesus had spent 40 days, six weeks fasting. Isn't that crazy? Six weeks fasting. And he was hungry, I bet. Physically weakened by a lack of food, but he was strengthened spiritually by the Holy Spirit. And the devil came and tempted him. And something interesting, as we're going to see, about each one of the responses that Jesus had to the devil was this, is that he used the word of God. He said, it is written. He used scripture. And the defense that came from the use of scripture, interesting enough, every time he defended himself against the temptation of the devil, Jesus quoted specifically from the book of Deuteronomy, which is kind of interesting. Because Deuteronomy is not exactly the first place that you think of in Scripture when you think of spiritual warfare. You're not like, oh no, I'll pull something out of the writings of Paul or something from the New Testament. But Jesus didn't have the New Testament. There was nothing to quote from the New Testament to deal with the devil. It wasn't written yet. He used the words of Moses. He used the account from Deuteronomy. And I would say this, Jesus was not only full of the Spirit, he was full of the Word of God. He was full of Scripture. Full of Scripture and full of the Holy Spirit is the combination that you and I need to have victory in temptation. You know, sometimes we can quote the Scripture in temptation. We can be full of Scripture or we can be full of the Spirit. I, you know, you say, well, I, I, I got overcome in temptation. I don't know what the deal was. I was so full of the word. Or I was so full of the spirit, but we don't know the word. And it's not either or, it's both. The spirit and the word is the key to victory over temptation. And so Jesus, full of the spirit, led by the spirit into the wilderness, quoted from the book of Deuteronomy, interestingly enough, 
in the very lessons the children of Israel had failed in during their time in the wilderness. Lessons they had failed at. The children of Israel failed at the wilderness testings. We know this. In the wilderness, they complained about lack of food. You know, they said, all oh, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, if we could just have all that good stuff we had back in Egypt. When God provided quail, they complained about that. When they got fed up with manna, they complained about that. They gave in to the lust of the flesh and the lust of their eyes. They committed adultery and fornication with the enemy of God's people, the Amorites. They gave in to the pride of life when they tried to go in on their own and conquer the promised land after God had told them they would not be entering. They failed. But Jesus was the perfect, was perfect in the mirror image of the children of Israel in the same testings. And so these testings, these temptations, are not to do Jesus in, you guys. They are to show him off. They are to show him off so that you and I would read the account and know this is the Son of God. This is God's anointed man. This is the one approved. Like think of Adam and Eve in the garden. They succumbed to temptation. Jesus in the wilderness was perfect in battle. He is the second Adam, the last Adam. What, what did the devil offer Adam and Eve when he first tempted them? Food, something to eat. He first appealed to the appetite of their body, the lust of the flesh. And this is the first temptation the devil brings against Jesus. Now, uh, just before we read on, let me say one more thing here. You and I, uh, don't face these same temptations in the way that Jesus did. Uh, because we're not the Son of God, are we? We're not God's approved Son. These are temptations that Satan used on Jesus, and he will use the same tactics, but he will not use the exact same temptations against you. And the reason being is this, is that Jesus is without sin. Satan had to tempt him with something outside of himself. The temptation to sin did not come from something within Jesus. And this is the difference between the temptation of Jesus and the temptation that you battle. I've learned this. I don't need the devil's help when it comes to sinning. Have you figured that out about yourself? It's like, wow, my own desires take me down bad paths and bad directions. I don't need things outside of myself to tempt me to sin because those desires are within every one of us. Temptation to sin, the word of God says, comes from our own heart, our own mind, our own desires. James said this, each one is tempted when he is lured away by his own desire, James 1.14. That's you and I because we are sinners by nature dependent upon the grace of God to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus was sinless. Sinless in his nature. So the devil came to tempt him with stuff outside of himself. And six weeks of fasting and Jesus was hungry. I'll say, uh, I'm confident probably, I'm guessing nobody here has ever done a 40-day fast. I mean, six weeks. I know I haven't. Six weeks, you'd be hungry. I'm hungry after six hours. You know, the body cries out for food. 
So let's read this. Verse 3, it says this. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So there's an important lesson here that we learn from observing Jesus, that no matter what you need, no matter what your body is crying out for, the will of God must be done first. It's about priorities for those who follow the Lord. Will you remain obedient when your body, when the appetite of your body is crying out? Will you set aside principle for your appetite? Will you set aside the kingdom of God and the things of the Lord for the appetites of your body? And we read here about Jesus. It's like he's tempted with this. And I would just say this, like if Jesus could not be obedient here, how would he ever be obedient enough to go to the cross and face everything God had in store for him? If he chose physical desire over the word of God, physical desire over the will of God, how could he ever endure the cross? And this is a key lesson for us, I would say. You know, it's like when we're learning to be obedient to the Lord, to be obedient to surrender physical desire to the word of God and to the will of God. The key lesson is this. Jesus said this, you have to pick up your cross daily and follow after me. Obedience to Christ is learned by practice. In, in the Old Testament, there's a saying from Solomon. It's this, little foxes spoil the vine. <laughs> That's, that is you know, no small saying. Little foxes smaller the, uh, sorry, spoil the vine. It's, it's saying this, that, that small things, little areas of disobedience in our life, we can't pretend that they don't matter. We can't pretend that we can just manage that little thing. Solomon said this, the little fox will spoil the vine. It's interesting that Jesus said this, I am the vine. You are the branches. And apart from me, you can bear no fruit. We know this. We're called to abide in him, to dwell in Jesus, to make him our home. He is the source of life-giving nourishment, and we have to arrive at the place where we know that apart from him, we have no life. Man has to learn that we do not live by bread alone. You know, you can eat bread every day. I like bread. Anybody like bread, you know? Nice, fresh bread, buttered, toasted. I mean, Sunday, often one of the things our family does is we send one of the kids over and we get a fresh loaf of sourdough from Mike's place and that's lunch when we get home. And you know what the battle is for the end crust pieces, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I know that I'm going to battle my wife. I'm going to battle my daughter just to get butter on those things and to eat them before someone else does. You could eat bread every day of your life. You could satisfy your physical hunger with bread. You can spend your whole life eating bread. But guess what? Eventually, you will die because the wages of sin is death. Bread allows you to exist, but there's no life in bread. There's no abundant life in bread. There's no eternal life in bread. That is only found in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we have to learn 
that obedience to God for the Christian is more important than the desires of the body. This is actually one of the benefits of fasting. I don't know if you've learned this, but it's one of the benefits of fasting, the spiritual discipline of fasting, because fasting is the practice where you deprive the body of food so that it's disciplined, so that it learns this body exists for the priority of spiritual things. And when things are out of order and you're living for physical things, fasting is a good way to put it back in its priority, spiritual things first. The body is always saying this, serve me, serve me, serve the flesh. I'm hungry. I have appetites that need to be fulfilled. We could fast from all sorts of things, fast from food, fast from social media. Those are, that's probably my favorite one right there. Fast from TV. Paul even speaks in the New Testament about times when husbands and wives fast from sexual intimacy to seek God. Fasting, whatever it is, is to discipline your body so that it lives for the priorities of the kingdom. And if the physical is to be taken over the spiritual, or sorry, if the spiritual is to be taken over the physical, then fasting is a good way to reprioritize. And so the devil appealed to the appetite of Jesus. Turn stone, turn these stones to bread. And that'll never be a temptation for you because you know what? You can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. I've never thought that once out here, there. I'm hungry. Oh, why don't I just take this and turn it into food? We can't do that, but Jesus could. And he said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Church, this is food. <laughs> this is food. When the disciples came to Jesus one time, he was talking to a woman at the well, and they, they urged him. They came with Chinese takeout or something. I don't know where they'd been. They'd been in the local town. They brought food with them, and they said to him, you haven't had anything to eat. Eat. And Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. They figured that he had gone somewhere else or someone had provided him with food, and he said to them this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Being obedient to the will of God is like food for your spirit. So the word of God, the will of God, that is food for the inner man. That is food for the spirit. And the body is important. I mean, God formed our bodies. God has promised that one day he's going to give us new bodies. But in terms of priority, the follower of Christ must learn that the body and its appetites come second to the word of God and the will of God, the things of the spirit. Look with me at verse five. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written. It is written. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve, and him only you shall serve. The second temptation, if the first temptation was a, an appeal to the lust of the flesh, the second temptation 
was an appeal to the lust of the eyes. This is the devil's playbook. It's always the same. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the devil took him up, we read, in an instant, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, Jesus, look with your eyes. See these things. I will give it all to you. I will give authority over it all to you, to all these kingdoms, all their glory, if you will worship me. This is interesting. Do you know that Jesus never promised power and wealth? That if you want power and wealth, contrary to what is preached in many places, that is not what Jesus offered. Jesus said, if you follow him in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said that if you are laboring in this world and you are heavy laden, he said, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus promised if you come to him is rest. Jesus didn't offer power and wealth. He offered rest. Rest from labor. Rest from the burden of trying to exist in a world without the life of God and the presence of God. For power and wealth, do you know where you have to go? To the devil. You go to the devil and the devil will give you this world. I, I, I was thinking about this. I can't, couldn't help but think about, you know, many famous people. You know, stories of musicians. Something actually popped up on my YouTube. I'm like, wow, does this Google know what I'm thinking now? What's going on here? You know, it popped up and it was like stories of musicians who sold their souls to the devil for fame. You know, Hollywood and music industry is full of people who are constantly giving tribute to the devil through symbols and signs and testimony. And they sold themselves, they sold their souls for this world. And Satan gave them this world. But Jesus says this, look at what does it matter? You could gain this whole world, but if you lose your soul, what have you gained? We have to learn to say, you can have this world. Give me Jesus. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? And this world and its dominion at creation was given in the garden to Adam. He was told to rule, to subdue, to have dominion. And he forfeited that rule and dominion to the devil when he willfully participated in sin. And Satan essentially took the title deed to the earth and Jesus came, Jesus came to take it back and to set us free. And Jesus came and he preached, as we're going to see next week, we're going to start to get into it. He began to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He announced its arrival. He announced his plan to come back and take that which the first Adam surrendered to the devil. Because Jesus is the king of the universe. He, he gave the earth to man and man gave it to the devil. And Jesus came to take it back. And the devil sought to tempt him by saying, you can have what you want, Jesus. You come for this world, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Just worship me. Satan was offering Jesus what he wanted without the cross, right? 
without the cross. You don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. You don't have to go to the cross to redeem this world from sin's power. You don't have to go to the cross to redeem this world from sin's death grip. I'll give it to you. All you have to do is worship me. You know, Satan rules much of this world. He's working towards ruling it all. Bible tells us he's working towards a one world government that will be led by one leader who himself will be inspired and empowered by the devil. Scripture calls that person the Antichrist. And it's amazing that essentially Satan was offering Jesus as the place, as that, as that person to be the Antichrist. You can have all the kingdoms of this world, Jesus. They can all come under your control. Just one condition. Worship me. Jesus said, it is written. It is written, full of the spirit, full of the word of God. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. How about the third temptation? Verse nine. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The temptation here as I read this is I think, wow, Jesus, look, you can make your uh, appeal to people through, you know, doing something that's going to gain you popularity. Just throw yourself off. D demonstrate your power. Do a, a, a miracle, a sign that shows that God's hand is upon you. Give them the proof that they are looking for. People are asking Jesus. The Spirit descended on you like a dove. Heaven opened and the voice of God spoke. I mean, they are wandering. Just give them the proof they are looking for. And I mean, next week we'll see this. But Jesus, as much as he was accepted by people, he was also rejected. Rejected by them. He faced rejection by those he came to seek and save. And Satan's temptation to him is this. Jesus, you don't have to be rejected. Seeking to appeal to pride. Demonstrate God's ability to save you by doing an act that proves it. Just throw yourself from here, watch the angels. The angels will demonstrate to everyone that God's hand is upon you. Throw yourself from this pinnacle and everyone will see what God does. And it's amazing. I mean, many of you know this. You sat in church a long time. Satan quotes scripture here. He actually uses the word of God to try and tempt Jesus to sin. But what's interesting is what Satan left out. He didn't, he didn't quote the text in its context. He didn't quote everything from Psalm 91 that it says. They say this, that a text taken out of context is nothing more than a pretext. <laughs> a text taken out of context is nothing more than a pretext. A pretext is when you, when you try to justify or make reason to do that which you want. You take the scripture out of its context and you bend it so that you can do what you want. Satan knows not how to do that. He's the master of pretext. And he used it in this situation to say, give the people what they want. There are people who want this Jesus. 
If they saw a miracle, they would believe. If God would just show himself, people say this, you know, people say, if I saw a miracle, I'd believe. If God would just show himself to me, I would believe. And to that, I say, not true. That is not true. Don't ever fall for that, ever. There was a miracle or if God just showed himself, you know, they would just come up with another excuse not to believe. Jesus said this. He said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Of course, he was speaking of himself. He says, if you can't believe Moses, you won't believe in my death and resurrection. So Jesus stood against the temptation and he said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And I love here that it says this, that Satan tried every temptation. Did you catch that? I tried to emphasize it. Every temptation. And he left him until the proper time. And, and it's amazing that Luke tells us that Satan tried every temptation and in every spot, Jesus Christ passed the test. What was the devil trying to achieve? Disobedience destruction. That's what he's always trying to achieve with temptation when it comes our way. To destroy us, to bring about disobedience in our lives, to sever our relationship with God. And there are only three points on which you will ever be tempted. This is the entire playbook. Every move, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Eve was tempted in all three of these areas, in the garden. And in all three areas, she, she failed, she capitulated. The, the, the text of, of Genesis chapter 3 tells us that the woman saw that the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. It, it's an appetite. She saw with her eyes that it was pleasant. That's the lust of the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired because it would make one wise. That's the pride of life. I want to be wise. I want to know stuff. And Eve failed in every one of these areas and Adam participated with her, but Jesus was victorious in every one of these areas. You go, ah, well, but could he have sinned? Have you ever asked that question? Could he have sinned? Well, you know, he was not tempted. Again, he was not tempted to see if he could sin because Jesus couldn't sin. He was tempted to prove to us that he is the sinless one. God's anointed. God's approved. This was not to do him in, but to show him off. And Jesus was victorious over every temptation. Now look at verse 14 and 15. We'll wrap right here. It says this. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report went out about him throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. It's like, man, it's an amazing thing when you and I experience victory over temptation, don't you think? It's like, wow, you come out of that sometimes and you've gone through some area of temptation and the Lord has led you to victory and you've depended upon the Spirit and you've depended upon the Word of God and it's like, wow. It feels like, man, I'm moving in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and it's amazing. We're gonna read through the rest of this chapter next Sunday and it just begins to tell us that Jesus did something that struck me, you know, as I was studying he just taught and he preached the kingdom of God. Sometimes we say, wow, you know, 
preaching and teaching, it's a weird thing. You know, Christians, we gather together, we worship Jesus, and then we open the book and we listen to someone teach us the word of God. And we say, wow, is this the most effective thing? Is this what the kingdom of God, is this how it grows? Is this what the people of God are supposed to do? I'll tell you what, Jesus did one thing. He went to the synagogue week after week. The scripture tells us it was his custom and he opened the scroll in town after town and he taught the word of God and proclaimed the kingdom of God. Paul said, it's amazing. The kingdom of God advances by the foolishness of preaching. This is foolishness. I mean, seriously? Come on. You gathered to listen to this joker? Or to listen? No, you didn't. You gathered to listen to the word of God. And the kingdom of God grows through preaching. And so we're going to see this about the ministry of Jesus. But when we think of the temptation, what I love about this is to compare myself to Jesus. Because Jesus is always the measuring stick for you and I. And you and I know that when we look at our lives and we see the areas of temptation that we have succumbed like Adam and Eve, we have succumbed like Moses, we've succumbed like Elijah, we've succumbed like the children of Israel, succumbed to temptation, and we weigh ourselves against Christ and we say, I need that man. I need that Savior. And this morning, I just want to encourage you and remind you this, that if you have succumbed to temptation, maybe you've had a rough week, you need to be reminded this, that there is mercy and there is grace and there is forgiveness. There is power in the blood to cleanse us from each and every sin. And we serve a merciful and compassionate God who sent his son, Jesus, the approved anointed Son of God who went to the cross and bore in his body our sin so that we might be freed from sin's power and learn to have victory over temptation. I want to give you three applications this morning, okay? First one's this. Take temptation seriously. Peter spoke about this. He said this, you need to be a sober-minded person. That means not under the influence of things. You need to be watchful, have your eyes open, and know this, that your adversary, the devil, is a predator. He prowls around like a roaring lion, the scripture says, seeking someone to devour. That's his goal. Destruction, his goal is disobedience in your life towards the will of God and the word of God. So take it seriously. Arm yourself. Say, Jesus, I need you to fill me with the Spirit every day. Jesus, I want your word to dwell in me richly so that I am a man or woman who knows the word of God, who is full of the Spirit. Second thing is this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that God gives us help in temptation. I want to encourage you to memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, which says this. It's a scripture verse that I've memorized. We do it in our discipleship classes and and um, we just graduated a group of people from discipleship class. We're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. And uh, Calvin's one of them. And Calvin says that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is his favorite scripture verse. And it says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And that verse teaches you 
that you are not undergoing anything that you are not able to handle. God will not take you to places that you cannot handle. And in fact, in the midst of that temptation, there will be an escape route every single time. That's what his word promises. And so I want to encourage you, memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And then thirdly, remember this, it is written. It's the spirit and the word that gives us victory together in unison to bat- in the battle against temptation.